Well, today, it is so good to be with you again. My name is Jake, and we are continuing a series that we are simply calling Peter. Uh, This is the longest series that we've ever done. It's 10 weeks long. And here's the whole point. Here's the whole idea. Here's the premise. Our goal, when all is said and done, is not simply to learn more about Peter, although that that will happen as we go through um, all of this. It is this. It is to better understand Jesus through the life of Peter. We want to better understand the man Jesus through the man Peter. It is all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Uh, We wouldn't even know who Peter was. We wouldn't even know his name if it wasn't for his interactions with Jesus. Peter is simply this. He is simply an insider's perspective, an insider's view to the man who changed the world. And so today, this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to tackle a passage, John chapter 21. The entire passage centers and focuses around the idea of restoration. Because what's happening here is Jesus is reinstating Peter. He is, he is giving him a second chance because Peter has messed up. And Peter has messed up big time. And the truth is, we have all messed up. Nobody is perfect. We know that. Nobody's perfect. If going to church meant that you had to be perfect, then this would be a very lonely place. In fact, I would be the only one here. (laughs) Which I am the only one here. So that joke doesn't even work. All right, so let's jump forward. Uh, John chapter 21. Here we go. We're going to go through this verse by verse. We'll start in verse 1. After this... After this, by this they mean uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Later, we'll find out in verse 14 that this is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples post-resurrection. He revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... This is our man, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, who also like to call themselves the sons of thunder, and two others of these disciples were together. That's seven out of the 11 apostles. Verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. Now, commentators speculate on the significance and argue over the significance of what that means. Some say that they were simply killing time, right? That they were going out for a little recreational fun, a little recreational fishing in the dark like the nitty-gritty dirt bank. Others say that they were trying to catch a meal or, or maybe make a little side money while nothing was going on. I say that we need to remember who we are talking, who's doing the talking, and what he said. We are talking about Peter, and he is saying, I am going fishing. Now, if I were to say, if I were to get up and I were to go chat with my wife, and I were to say, honey, I am going to play basketball, she would think that what I'm going to do is go grab my sneakers, I'm going to put on my short, short shorts for the summer sun, I'm going to run out to the park, I'm going to grab my ball, and I'm going to put it in the hoop as many times as possible. That's what she would think, and she would be right. But... I am old enough to remember a press conference when Michael Jordan held a press conference after that little excursion, an unfortunate little excursion into basketball. He came back, he sat down with the press, and he said these words, I 
am going to play basketball. And not one reporter in there raised their hand and say, uh, uh, Mike, uh, what you mean, man? Uh, you mean like basketball, you're going to play um, with your kids in the driveway? Is that what you're going to do? Nobody asked him that. Because this is Jordan saying, I'm going to play basketball. This was a career decision. And Peter, he is a career fisherman like his father before him. He has been a fisherman all the way since, all the way up to the point where Jesus said, come and follow me. And he is saying, I am going fishing. And so what happens next is they, they being the disciples, said to him, hey, Pete, we will go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They were empty, got nothing. Now, why were they out there in the first place? Because if you look elsewhere in scripture, you know that they are supposed to go to the mountain in Galilee, not jump on the, on the lake. That's not what they're supposed to do. Why are the disciples out fishing in the first place? The reason why is because their leader led them there. And by leader, I don't mean Jesus, I mean Peter. When Jesus stepped aside, all of a sudden, the disciples, they look to Peter because Peter has a natural ability to lead. He is a natural leader. But unfortunately, in this case, Peter, their leader, is leading them in the wrong direction. Peter has led them back to his old way of life, back to what's comfortable for him, back to where he feels safe, back to fishing for fish. And that night, these professional Fishermen caught nothing. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Later we'll find out that he was a hundred yards, a football field away. They couldn't tell exactly who it was, but Jesus said to them, Children, which is Pideon, which is the word for little boys. So he's saying, Little boys. Do you have any fish? Boys, do you have some fish? Friends, this is a common question. This is the question that you ask when you go fishing. There's really only one question you can ask, and that is simply, are you having any luck? If a boat comes by, if you're on the shore, how are you doing? When they ask that question, when a fisherman asks that question, they're not interested in how you're doing emotionally. They simply want to know how many fish you've got in the boat. How many fish do you have? And so Jesus asks this age-old question. Got anything? Any luck? And they answer him, no. No. So he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, which is an odd and very specific request. And it's a difference of about seven and a half feet across the boat. Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so I find it interesting and that these professional fishermen take advice from this odd yet strangely familiar voice of a man who is on shore. And they cast their net and they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, friends, this isn't just another miracle. This is a repeat or a reprise of a miracle. 
It may sound familiar to you. Um, one, because we talked about that miracle in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus pulled this same, you know, cast your net party trick and the same result happened with a boatload of fish. We talked about that on the very first time when we started this series on Peter, the first message. But why would Jesus repeat a miracle? Why is he doing it now? Why is he doing it again? Because you would think that the creator of the universe, that the, the, the guy who created the most beautiful, diverse world that we live in could come up with an original way to do another miracle rather than reverting to repeating miracles. Why would he did it, do that? Did he run out of ideas? Why? Well, here's why. And this is super big. This is so symbolic, and friends, catch this. This is where restoration starts in this story, right here. Peter, he went back to fishing. God forgave him, right? Forgave him for denying him, for abandoning him, for falling away. But it would appear that Peter does not feel worthy to be a disciple anymore, and so to walk with him. And so what Jesus is doing here, and it's so beautiful, is that in the midst of Peter's greatest failure, he is recreating the miracle that he first had when he said, Peter, come and follow me, and drop your nets and follow me. Same miracle. Jesus is taking him back to the beginning, into that place, reminding him that Peter... You are called, you were called, and you are still called to do more than simply catch fish. Jesus is saying, Peter, our relationship, it is still open. It is open. And I'm creating this miracle again so that I can let you know that you are not too far gone. And friends, that is true for Peter, and that is true for you as well. You are not too far gone. We are not too far gone. He offers us a fresh start. He offers us a do-over. This is restoration. Verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loved, which, which is how John likes to refer to himself. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And then watch what Peter does because he does something that I hope many of us will do. He stops running away from God and he starts moving towards God. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Friends, I love that. Was it pretty? No, it wasn't pretty at all. Nobody puts on their outer garment, their clothes to go swimming. Nobody does that. Maybe, you know, and I thought about this. Maybe Peter thought that he could. He could step out of the boat and continue to walk on water and he would be dry as can be as he walked over to Jesus, but that didn't happen. He sunk. It wasn't pretty. He didn't just dive in. He threw himself in. It wasn't an elegant, graceful get in the water. It wasn't a jump. It was I throw myself, I fly into the water. It wasn't pretty. It's a mess because you know why? Peter is a mess. He's a mess at this point. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, which is probably the smarter thing to do, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Friends, Peter is so desperate. 
He is so done with being so far from God that he will do anything. He will do whatever it takes to get back to him. He sees his Lord and he just knows, I want to be with him. And for some of you, for some of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel like that. I feel like I am far away from God and I desperately want to be back with him, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know the rules. And I would share with you today that it doesn't have to look pretty. It just has to be honest. You don't have to dive or gracefully jump into the water. You can just flop. You can throw yourself in. That counts. To move closer to Jesus, to stop going away from him, and to start moving towards him. Swim, run, kneel, pray, do whatever you need to do. It counts. Verse 9, it continues, it says, When they stopped, or when they stepped ashore, they found breakfast waiting for them, which sounds so good. Fish, for breakfast, cooking over a charcoal fire, yum, and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught, you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore. There were 153, catch that, 153 fish, and yet the net had not torn. A few things to notice here. Number one, 153 fish. Scholars debate, articles have been written, theologians wrestle over the significance of the number 153 If you know or familiar with your Bible, numbers mean different things. They have other significance. So a guy, there's theories, there's ideas on what does 153 mean? A guy named St. Jerome thinks that there could have been 153 species of fish inside of the Sea of Galilee at that time, and that would represent the same number of people or races that there were on the planet that, that he would eventually reach and die for, and could be 153 years until he comes back. 153, what is the significance? Here's what I think. I think it means that there was 153 fish in the boat. That's what I think. It means that somebody counted. Someone's like, one, two, three. Hold on, Jesus will be right with you. Four, five, six. I'm coming, I promise. 153. I love that. I love that they counted. I relate to that because when I'm fishing, I know two things. I know this. I know how many fish I have in the boat, and I know how many fish my dad has in the boat because it's a competition. Fishermen count. That's what they do. And I love this detail. It's this kind of detail that scholars would call an internal proof. It means that this obscure detail in the story helps support the validity and the reliability of the eyewitness account. And that's exactly what this is. This is an eyewitness account. Second thing to notice in that last passage was this, is that Jesus made breakfast. Jesus made breakfast for them. Man, I'm sure it was good. In biblical times, to eat with someone was a sign of intimate fellowship. But you know what it also was? If somebody had done you wrong, it was also a gesture of forgiveness. If somebody wronged you and you ate a meal with them, that was a gesture of I forgive you. And Peter wronged Jesus. Peter let Jesus down. And yet, here's Jesus cooking breakfast for the man who abandoned him. 
for the man who walked away. Friend, if you're just joining us, if you happen to just stumble across this on YouTube or, 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 or you came for the first time and you watched Easter, the service that we had there, I want you to know this. If you've ever wondered what God is like, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. He cooks breakfast. This is par for the course. This is normal for him. Jesus was known for eating with sinners. But you know who Jesus also ate with? Old friends who walked away from him. People he liked. You eat a meal with people that you like. Jesus does not hold grudges. And Jesus forgives, and he's doing it through the process of a meal. Jesus will eat with anyone and everyone who wants to eat with him. How do I know that? Because he said that. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Forgiveness, my friends. A meal symbolizes forgiveness and Jesus made Peter breakfast. The last thing to notice here in this passage right here, this small chunk, is the charcoal fire. I think it's pretty thoughtful that Jesus knew Peter would jump into the water, so he creates a fire that Peter could come and warm and dry himself on, but it's also significant. There are, only, there, there are a lot of fires that are mentioned throughout Scripture. There are many, actually, um, and there, but there's only two charcoal fires that are mentioned. One is this one, the one that Jesus just built right here. And the other one is the one that Peter warmed himself around. The other charcoal fire was at the courtyard of Caiaphas when Peter denied Jesus three times. And so not only does Jesus recreate the miracle, the moment of connection when Peter first decided to follow him, what he's doing right now is he's recreating the moment of Peter's biggest failure. And what he's saying is he's saying, Peter, we've got to deal with this. Peter, we, gotta, we got to talk about this. And so he pulls Peter in, and here's what he says. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now what's interesting there is that Jesus never calls him that. Jesus is calling him Simon Peter, son of John. And if he didn't pick up the significance of the fire, Peter picked it up right here because Jesus is calling him by his full name. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but whenever I was out playing and all of a sudden I heard my mom say, Jacob, Rudy, Gertza. I'd say to my friends, boys, I gotta go. I'm like, what, why, why do you gotta go? I don't know, I did something wrong, it's bad. Because my mom used my full name. And right here, Jesus is saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, commentators divide on what these are. There's a couple options here. These could have meant the other disciples. Jesus could have been referring, do you love me more than the other disciples? Because during the Last Supper, Peter said and he declared, Lord, even if all of these other guys fall away from you, I will not. So he could be saying, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? Is that still your stance? Do you still believe that? Or he could have been talking about the fish. 
And the grammar allows for this. Jesus could have been holding fish and he could have said, hey, do you love me more than these? Meaning his old life. Do you love me more than your old occupation? And the truth is we honestly do not know what what he was referring to. Maybe Jesus just saw a disciple eating a fish and says, do you love me more than these? And kind of included both of them. We don't know. But he continues. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter replied, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, is Jesus being cruel? Is he being mean in this situation? I used to think so. I used to think that he was rubbing it into Peter's face saying, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. Well, you didn't, you didn't seem to love me two nights ago. So let's run that again, Peter, when you messed up. Let's run it again. Do you love me? I used to think that that's what Jesus was doing here. I used to think that that's how God would treat us when we failed. That that's how God would treat us when we messed up. I don't think that anymore. And it's not because I don't want that to be true. It's because I've studied this passage. I've studied this passage. If Jesus wanted to shame Peter, what direction would he point? He would point backwards. He would point backwards to the past. You did this in the past, Peter. But what does Jesus do here? He points forward. He says to Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes. Okay. I know you do, Pete. So feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, I love you. Yes. So let's move forward and feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. I love you. You know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. Yes, you do, Peter. And so let's take a step forward and let's feed my sheep. What I think Jesus is doing here is I think he's saving Peter's life. Because if Jesus did not recreate this moment in this location, this miracle, then every single time a rooster crowed, Peter would be reminded that, hey, you know what, you're a loser. Peter, you messed up. You denied me. You were the one who ran away. You walked away. You fell away. Peter, you're the one, you're that guy. Every time a rooster crowed, he would think that, and he would be crippled with shame from the path and the calling and the, and the plan that God had on his life. And so what Jesus is doing in this whole conversation is that he's touching the wound of one of Peter's greatest failures. It is Peter's greatest failure, not to hurt him, this is important, but to heal him. That's what he's doing. And he will do the same for you. When God begins to move in your life, when you receive his grace and you start to draw close to him, 
I promise that this will happen. Eventually, at some point in time, he's going to point to one of your greatest failures or pain moments in your life, and he says, you know what? We need to deal with this. But you need to be reassured that he's not doing that to hurt you. He's doing that to help you. Years ago, I broke my arm. And it was knocked out of its socket. And so when I went to the hospital and I had to get it fixed, the doctor had to put it back into, you know, back together. And so in order to do that, what he had to do is he had to touch my arm. I had to let him touch my arm. I could, you know, if he would have reached, I could have been like, no, doc, you know what? Don't touch my arm. That will hurt. You can touch my shoulder. You can touch my knee. You can touch my earlobe, but do not touch my arm. I could have said that, but I trusted the doctor and that the doctor didn't want to hurt my arm. He wanted to help. And did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. You would think that when you put your arm back in place, that it would be one of those scream out loud, but instead it's more like a kind of sweating profusely kind of moments. And that's what it feels like at times. Jesus wants to touch these things. He wants to touch the pain in our past. And I don't know what that is for you. That could be a statement. That was made by your dad years and years ago that you've just never forgot. Or it could be an approval that you never received from your mom or an abandonment from either of the two. Maybe it was something that you have done, this thing that is in your past that you don't even, not let alone touch, you don't want to talk about, you don't even want to think about anymore. For some of you, the sins of the past, they completely determine how you walk into a room. They determine whether you're going to keep eye contact with someone or what you're going to say or what you're going to do. It determines that. But I want you to please hear me in this. This is so important. Jesus will take you to your greatest failure, to the pain in the past, but he's not doing it to hurt you. He's doing it to help you. He's not doing it to shame you. He's doing it to take shame away. Jesus doesn't take us there so that we can relive it. He takes us there so he can relieve it from us. That's his point. He's restoring Peter here. He's helping him. Peter denied Jesus publicly. And so Jesus is giving him a public restoration. And I love the symmetry of this. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Do you know him? At a, at a, at a, at a courtyard, by a fire, do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. Do you know him? No. I do not know the man of which you speak. And then three times, Peter was given the opportunity to declare his dependence and devotion upon Jesus. At another fire, he says, do you love me, Peter? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus is like, great. Now let's move on. Let's go forward. That was your failure. Let's move on. And for some of us, we need to deal with the wound that is in the past. And if we're shooting straight, it's not going to be a one-time thing. For the most part, it's going to be a process. And that can come through conversations with a counselor. That can be talks with a friend or a family member. It might start with you getting on your knees tonight and praying and asking Lord for forgiveness. 
But he wants to deal with it. He wants to deal with the wounds of the past so that we can rise up and we can move on. And the reason he wants to do that is because he wants us to feed his sheep. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Friends, we talk about sheep a lot around here, and the reality is they're not impressive. In fact, sheep are nature's victim. That's what they are. They don't run fast. They don't bite hard. They don't have quills. I mean, they don't even have a protective shell like a turtle. A turtle is stronger than them. A, a, a sheep, or they're not smart either. I mean, literally, they could be three feet away from water and they can't find it. And you're like, it's right there. And they die of dehydration. Sheep are vulnerable. And so what Jesus is saying is saying, Peter, look at the world. It is dangerous. It is scary. And there are sheep that I love. Would you feed them? Would you take care of them? Don't get so wrapped up in your past that you forget what I've called you to do. You are acting like Simon, a fisherman. You are Peter, a fisher of men. And I love you, Peter. And it's okay. And yes, you messed up pretty bad and it was pretty public, but my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. And so, let's move on. Let's go forward. And on that day, Peter was restored. Peter was reinstated. Peter got a second chance. Jesus said to him, welcome back. And friends, what I want to tell you right now is this. It's so important, is that no one is beyond restoration. No one is beyond restoration. Just because you made a mistake doesn't mean that you're disqualified from the grace of Jesus. He still desires you to be a disciple. He still desires you to to answer the call that he has given you. No one is beyond restoration. You probably know the artist Johnny Cash. Great artist. Love his music. Johnny Cash was a, was a country artist, and at one point in time, he got hooked on drugs. And when he got hooked on drugs, what he ended up doing is he ended up alienating his friends and his family members, those that were the closest to him. And in this, his life just seemed to catch on fire, and he decided that I need to take care of the situation. So you can read about it in his autobiography. He talks about how he grabbed a flashlight, and he had the idea to go into a cave, and so he did. He went in there, and he thought to himself, I'm just going to go as far in as I can get. And when the batteries die on the flashlight, that's it. That's the end. And so he walks in there, and he goes in, and the batteries die, and he's sitting in the cave in the dark. And this is where shame takes you. It wants to alienate you, and it wants to move you away from everybody else, and it wants to put you in the dark until it kills you. And in that moment, Johnny Cash had a God experience. He said that that, that God was present with him in that moment, and he knew that it wasn't over. And he wanted to put his faith in Christ. And in that moment, he decided to get up and to try to find his way out because his life wasn't done. And so he did. He tried to get out, but the flashlight was out, so he didn't know how he was going to find his way out of the caverns, out of the cave. 
Eventually, he saw a little glimmer of light, and so what he did is he went to the light, he walked up there, and he found the entrance to the cave. And when he got out there, he also noticed that two of his friends were waiting for him. He doesn't know how they knew where he was, but they got him, and because he was sick, they took him to the hospital. He was still hooked on drugs, he got sober, he got healed, and what happened is his life was changed. Johnny Cash all of a sudden started going on crusades with Billy Graham and singing praise songs to Jesus. He made a movie about Paul and movies about Jesus. And he, he was interviewed later in life on MTV of all things. And he said on there that sin will take you to these dark places, but Jesus' grace is good. And it's available to all of us. He said that on MTV, and people listened because he lived it. Friends, no one is beyond restoration. No one is beyond restoration. And that, that includes you. That includes you. I don't know what you've done. I don't know how many times you've done it. I don't know what was done to you. But I'm just going to say this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what was in the past because the past is the past. And Jesus restores us from that. He forgives us from that. And whatever that is, and however far you are away from God in this moment, he is calling you forward. And he's calling you by name and he's saying, come back to me. Dive in the water. Fall in the water. Just come to me. I'm with you. We're okay. My grace is sufficient for you. I want to conclude our time with the words of Peter. Now, this is something he said at the end of his life. This is after he left fishing to become a disciple of Christ. This is after he denied Christ. This is after his death and after the resurrection. This is all said and done after he led the church. Here's what Peter said, looking back on his life. He said, after you have suffered a little while, which he did, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, here it is, Restore, restoration, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's saying it's going to be painful for a little bit, but God will restore you to the call that he has on your life. It happened for Peter. It's available for you. What do we learn about Jesus through the life of Peter? It's very simple. Here it is. God restores God restores, and he can restore you. Let's pray.